Good morning, church. Can we celebrate Jesus in this place today? You can go ahead and, and be seated. You can be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. I know the band is coming out. If you could find the podium for me over there, that would be great when they get a second. Appreciate it. Hey, we're excited today, church, to be here. Amen? Amen. We're excited to be here today. We're going to continue in our series that uh, we started last week called Rebuild. And, and so if you missed last week, you can go there and uh, watch again or just kind of get caught up if you've missed that. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, we're grateful for all of those watching online. Can we just celebrate the people watching online this morning from wherever they are at? Thank you. And uh, I'm excited about the word today. I want to jump in. I feel like God is literally just beginning uh, today what he's going to do in your hearts, in my heart, in our church, in this community. And I'm excited about the message today for sure. So buckle up. I feel like God has a word for us. Amen. Did you come to church today to hear what God has to say or hear what I have to say? Amen. Good news for you. I've titled the message today, I'm jumping in, when heart and guts collide. I'm going to say that a lot because I want that to be the thing that you take with you. What happens when heart and guts collide? And I think that has a lot to do with where Nehemiah is in the story. And we're going to begin in Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week was Nehemiah chapter 1. If you remember, he, gets, he, gets, he hears about the news that these walls are crumbling down and he has this passion to build this wall. But what happens when heart and guts collide? You ever heard this statement? You know, man, he got guts, she got guts, they got guts. And then you have another statement that we hear a lot, man, he got heart. He's got heart. He's got heart. I think God wants to do something inside of us this morning where it's hearts and it's guts, that God needs both. He needs a person that has some heart, but also has some guts. Did you know building God's kingdom requires a lot of guts? That is to say, guts, do you know where, where, where does guts, where is guts located? Somebody tell me, where's the gut at? The stomach. Jesus, on several occasions, I'm jumping right into the message, so I hope you're ready and you got your pen because I'm jumping right in. Do you see what I'm doing? It's like the gas is down. Okay. So Jesus was moved with splagnesimai. That is Greek for compassion. That's where we get the word compassion from. The word splagnesimai was a movement in your bowel system. It's, it's rooted in here. You ever had such a deep compassion, it hurts your stomach. It's, it's in the gut. So I think you need hearts, but you also need some guts. You ever had to do something that was courageous before and it took some guts? It wasn't easy. It was a risk. There was a little, little afraid, a little fear in there, but you went for it anyways. I think God is looking for somebody and he's looking for people that have heart and also have guts. Nehemiah chapter 2 says early the following spring, Jesus or Nehemiah is in the season. Now remember, I need to take it back. 120 days of praying and fasting. Some maybe about 140 days, six weeks, four months and two weeks, six, something like that. And so 130, 140 days he's praying and fasting. It says in this month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I want to make a special note to this, that God had called him to and he was beginning to stir in his heart this desire to go rebuild this 
community that's 800 miles away to rebuild the city, but he's still staying where he is until he gets the release from God. He's still doing his job to serve the king his wine. He's the taste tester in case it was poison. That's a risky job, by the way. It is a risky job. If you have to have to drink the wine before the king drinks the wine to make sure that the king doesn't die, you're basically putting your life on the line every day. So Nehemiah is used to taking risk. Does that make sense? Every day is a risk when he shows up to work. It's a gamble. He may or may not come home. Does that make sense? How many of you love jobs like that? Amen. Okay. But some do serve in those jobs, right? For your benefit and for mine. Thank you for all of those that do that. It says, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. I want you to understand that Nehemiah was so moved by what was happening 800 miles away by the people of God that it was shown in his physical expression. Do you ever walk into work in your house one day and you know somebody, something's wrong with them? Man, do you ever just, you can look at your wife's face or something, you're like, something, what's wrong? And then they say, nothing. And then you say, something's wrong. What's wrong? And then it goes on. For, anybody can relate to this? Am I preaching to anybody? Does this make sense? Does this happen in your home at all? Men? Does this happen, Damon? What's wrong? Frequently. What's wrong? Nothing. No, and then, and then eventually it comes out, right? So the king, the boss of Nehemiah says, what is wrong with you? There's something wrong, and I don't, you don't have a cast on, you don't have a fever. You're, what's going on? Because something is wrong with you. I've noticed a change in your physical appearance by what's going on on the inside. You ever been in worship and seen weird people? Um... You, you, you sit back and you watch somebody dancing in church. Anybody ever seen anybody dance in church? Yeah. Some of us haven't. That's okay. And, and you, you, know, you see people, all I'm saying to you is, and sometimes it's weird, sometimes it's for the wrong motives. What I'm trying to tell you is when there's a shift in your heart, you notice it on the outside appearance of somebody. You know when someone's broken, someone's sad. You know when something's going on, what's wrong with you today. The king noticed there's been a heart change in Nehemiah, and it's showing on his face when heart and guts collide. Nehemiah finds out that the walls in Jerusalem have come down, and it breaks his heart. Go back to Nehemiah 1.3. He said, they said to me, the things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Remember the word shame and disgrace is the idea that they've been constantly scorned by their enemy. They're in constant oppression. They're in slavery once again. They have no freedom. They've lost hope like hopeless people. They've been struggling and battling with their identity, with security, and they do not have the life that God intended them to have. These are the people that Nehemiah is thinking about. And it shatters his heart. They're living in constant shame. And they're constantly being scorned by their enemy. Simply put, they've lost their freedom. 
I need you to understand what freedom is today, too, as we unpack the sermon. Freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want when you want. That's not freedom. That's slavery. Freedom is not doing what you want when you want. That's not freedom. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is, by the way, what you want. He even says it. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you, somebody say it. Are you alive today? Want. Okay. You're not to do whatever you want. What I want to do is retaliate. Now somebody say amen. When somebody makes me mad, I want to retaliate. I want to get them back. I want to pay them back. I want what's coming. I want mines. You know, I'm like the two-year-old. Anybody struggle with, you know, you want the remote control? Anybody struggle with the issue of control? Anybody like to be in control? I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going on. I want to plan. Amen? I want what's mine. I want to take care of me first. This is my natural tendency. I want to watch out for my family first. It's me first. Anybody? Anybody love forgiving somebody that's offended you? I mean, you just love it. You can't wait to forgive the person who's hurt you. Anybody? Is there anyone here that loves forgiving people and you just can't wait for it? Okay. Then this means the next question should be 100% participation. Anybody not like forgiving somebody who's hurt you? It's hard, it's difficult, and you'd rather not have to do it. Raise your hand high. I need to see you. The lights are bright today. Amen. So the flesh wants to hold on to unforgiveness, but the Spirit says, are we? I'm going to come down because I need to get inside of you today. Okay. The flesh desires to hold on to unforgiveness, but the Spirit desires what? To forgive. The flesh says, I don't want to have to give it away. But the Spirit says, give it away. The spirit says be generous. The flesh says be selfish or greedy. So Paul says there's a war and this is freedom. Real freedom is doing what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. Paul says that real freedom is when you actually suppress the flesh and you don't have to give in to the flesh, and you do the thing that your spirit wants you to do, that's freedom. So what you need to see is the people who were living inside of these walls had no freedom. And we're going to find out how we know that in just a few seconds. But they had no freedom. They were living in a constant state, scorned by their enemy. They were living in depression. They were living in brokenness. They were living in hopelessness. They were living in selfishness. They were living in fear. Constant life this way. Would anyone in this church room place today, this gathering, love to live in that state? You long to live in this place? No. And this is exactly where many people live today. Hopeless, broken, lost, confused, no plan, no purpose, 
doubt, fear, and sin. And this is where these people are in this nation, and it moves Nehemiah's heart. They were not in freedom. The Israelites were not living a life of freedom from sin. They were actually living as slaves to sin. And Nehemiah is broken over this. So he prays and he fasts for 120 plus days, and his heart gets aligned with God's. This is a side note for somebody today. I just help you out with prayer. Prayer is not where we go just to talk with God. It's where we go to listen. So when you go pray, don't go to do a lot of talking. Go do a lot of listening. In fact, your prayer life will significantly change if the majority of the time you be quiet and listen and then you do a little bit of talking afterwards. Words like this. When I listen to God, most of my words that follow us, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Yeah, Jesus, I got you. Yeah, okay, now I get it. It's not long. God, God says, I'm giving you a tool to talk with me. Sure, you can let me know your request, but prayer is where you go to listen. It is not where you go to talk. Oftentimes when people say, hey, you ready to pray? What that means is, are you ready to talk? You should go pray. It means you should go talk. I'm trying to switch that thinking. Prayer is actually where you go to listen first, then talk. That's why scripture says, be slow to speak and quick to. Are you reading your Bibles? Quick to. Thank you. Somebody, read their Bible, please. Help me out. All right. Slow to speak, quick to listen, hear God. Okay. So Nehemiah, I need you to hear this, is preparing to leave his job and the palace to rebuild the walls that would allow the people to live in freedom. Something's been wrecking me all week with this sermon. And it's this idea that Nehemiah wasn't called to build a new wall. He was called to rebuild a wall that was broken. I know it doesn't, but it, it, for some, it kept sticking inside of me. That he wasn't rebuilding, a, he wasn't called to build something new. He was called to, build, to rebuild something. Did you know that rebuilding things is often more difficult than building something new? Okay, let me explain it to you this way. Think about a house that gets wrecked by a hurricane or a tornado. And the emotional pull it has on a family. All the stuff they worked for seems to be crumbling down. I think that is so much more difficult to have to rebuild than to build new. Building new is a little easier because there's no pre-emotional attachment to it. But when the walls come down after you've worked so hard to build it, it's often hard to get back up and rebuild it again. Remember the Lego analogy I brought up last week? Have you ever... Just quit because something broke apart. You know, the Legos, you work so hard, forget it. And you go on to something new. Because to have to redo it all over again is too, it's just too much emotion. It's just too difficult. I don't want to have to rebuild again. It's interesting to me that God didn't tell Nehemiah to go build something new. He said, I want you to go rebuild what's broken. And he would call the people eventually to rebuild what was broken. I'm suggesting to you today, this was not going to be an easy task to have to rebuild. But God calls a rebuild to occur, and he tells Nehemiah to go and rebuild these walls. 
Now, I need you to understand the history of the walls with where we're going today. Why the walls came down. This is like if there could be a subtitle to the sermon today, it would be why the walls came down. I need you to get why the walls came down, and then you're going to see what happens when hearts and guts collide. So why the walls came down. This is just going to take you back for just a minute to help you understand why the walls came down in the first place. I'm going to help you understand that God allowed the walls to come down. God will often allow the walls to come down in your life in order to rebuild your life. But first, there has to be a collapse. Now, that should not excite you too much. And I did not expect to get any shouts of joy for that one. That God will allow the walls to collapse around you for a period of time. There will be a period of time in your journey with God that it'll feel like the walls are collapsing. God will allow a collapse to happen in your life, all for the benefit of you. He loves you so much, he'll allow the walls to collapse. I need you to see why he allowed his people to go through a situation where the walls were collapsing. Jeremiah, the prophet, is sent by God. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, my people have committed two sins. Everybody say two. Everyone say two. Amen. I'm going to get all of you eventually. Everybody say two. Amen. Two sins. These are the two sins that would lead to why these walls came down. And Jeremiah sent to deliver the message. Number one, they've forsaken me. Forsaken is to forgotten. They've abandoned me. Here's the second. The spring of living water. That's what I am. I'm the spring of living water. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He was living water. If you drink from this well, you'll have life. You'll never be thirsty again. I'm the living water. Everything points to Jesus. They've forsaken me. Who? The spring of living water. They have forsaken Christ in our context. They have forsaken God. They have abandoned him. And second sin. They have dug their own wells, their own cisterns. They dug their own holes. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Sin, by the way, is separation from God, right? So they've committed these sins. They've done two things that have separated themselves from God. I don't know if you know this, but God can't stand sin because it separates his children from him. And God will do whatever he needs to do in order to draw his people back, even send his son down in order to reattach this relationship, to draw you back closer to him so that you can reestablish and rehab this relationship again. But the sin has gotten in the way. And they've abandoned God and they have also dug their own cisterns. A cistern is an artificial reservoir of water. It's a place where they would dig for water and it would hold the rain When rainfall was scarce, it would hold it together so they could come drink from this well or this cistern. And he says that these are broken cisterns, meaning they are worthless. The cisterns that you dug for yourselves aren't providing the resources that you need. You dug some cisterns and you're trying to dig this thing and make this thing happen, but it's not working out the way that you planned. I'm going to help you out, bring this together so you get what Jeremiah is trying to get at. How foolish for people to dig their own cistern when they had access, and I thought about this, to living, flowing water. These people knew God, 
and they remember and they knew what God had done for them in the desert and their ancestors and previous generations. How God had parted the, say it in, he parted the, the, the water in the Red Sea, right. And, and, and then when Moses struck the ground and then the, the, for the rock and the water comes out, and the manna had, they'd seen promises of God. How foolish someone to go dig a cistern. This is what he's saying. When they have access to living water. How foolish a person to worry about something that they haven't, you know, got or come through yet when the God says don't worry. Like, just, just go with me on this. These people had a great relationship with God, and yet they were freaking out and panicking and building their own cisterns. And not only that, they were worthless because they were broken. It would be one thing if they didn't know any better, but these people knew what God was capable of doing, and they still turned their back on him. I wonder if we build broken cisterns in our life. Do you have any broken cisterns that you're building? What's a broken cistern in our lives, in our system? I'll give you one. Your retirement plan. Your retirement plan. What a broken cistern. I'm not suggesting to you that you shouldn't have a retirement plan. I'm not suggesting to you that you shouldn't have some kind of 401k system and save for the future. It's biblical. I get it. I'm just saying don't put your hope in it. I'll give you another a broken cistern. The stock market. Cryptocurrency. See, you're laughing. Now you're relating. Some of you just downloaded Robinhood this morning. like, Bitcoin, where's my Bitcoin? You wake up and you check the stock market. You're digging a broken cistern. And if it goes up and it's green, I'm good. We're safe. We're secure. Come on. I know I'm preaching to somebody. Your hope is in the stock market. Job, promotion, plans, all kinds of things. People can become, people can become a broken cistern in your life. Did you know that? You literally take somebody and based off what they say, it brings you security or affirmation. Based on how somebody responds to you, brings you identity. People. You ever put your trust in somebody and they let you down? Yeah, all the time. People can become a broken cistern. The government can become a broken cistern. Many people around our world are panicking when, come on, can we have church today about this? Let's just be real. People panicked all over because of who was going to become president, either side. The world is collapsing. Oh no, here goes our freedom. Broken cistern. Our freedom's in Christ. You can take whatever you want from me. That doesn't make me a slave. Broken sister. What Jesus is trying to get at, what God is trying to get through prophet Jeremiah to his people is, you're digging ditches that are worthless. Don't you know who your God is? You have forgotten me. And not only that, you're replacing me with your own system of security. You're, you're trying to find security and safety. But you're not getting it because you're looking in the wrong place. 
It was a play of idolatry. By, by the way, the primary attraction to idols is not that they were pretty statues. This nation had an issue with statues. It wasn't because they're beautiful statues. The golden cow, oh, how beautiful the golden cow is. It was the economic promise behind it. It was what, it was what they believed the statue could do for them. There was belief that there were certain gods for everything. There was a god for fertility. So if I talk to this god, then it'll make me more successful. Yes, right? Fertility. Yes? It'll make things happen. So they went to the god of fertility. Then there was a god of rain, right? He's jumping on the clouds. He's running fast. He lives up above the clouds. This is what they thought. And so if you just talk to this god up there, then you, you get the rain to come down. There's a god of the sun. There's a god of the land. And this all made sense to the world. And yet the Israelites had forgotten, no, there's only one. There's only one. And they became infested by the culture around them. And they bought into the lies. Idolatry, by the way, is a matter of the heart. It was a heart issue. An idol is anything that replaces the one true God. Idols have always stolen the love, the trust, and the service that God deserves and demands. An idol, bottom line, is a false sense of hope, a false sense of security, and a false sense of identity. It's an idol. Money can be an idol because they think that more money they have, it'll satisfy their soul. Many people today still live really believing that money will finally solve the problem. If we just had more income, then dot, 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 dot. Money will literally solve my problems. People still believe that today. Many of you today still believe that's true. You know what Biggie said? What did Biggie say? He said, more money, more problems. And yet we still want more money. Other people can be an idol. I'm preaching to somebody on this one. They think someone else can fill the void in their heart. You so desperately long for a relationship with somebody because you actually think that's going to satisfy the hole in your heart. You see this with young people, even people later on in life, still trying to fill a void in their heart from something their parent did to them or something when they were a child, still trying to fill that void in their heart with something else, a drug, an addict. That's what they do. They're trying to fill a void, something that was suppressed the pain, and it doesn't work. Power. You think that finally when you get the promotion and you get the title, you get the power, then you'll get the respect you deserve. It's an idol, and the wall must come down. When I make it, when I finally get to the pinnacle of my career in my life, if I can just be the guy who provides for my family, then I'll feel like the dad God wants me to be. Then I'll feel like the man God wants me to be. If I can just have enough retirement, if I can just have enough strategy, if I can just have enough plan, and you're digging your own cistern. It's a false sense of hope. It's a false sense of security. It doesn't work. 
anything we place ahead of God becomes an idol. The history of Israel is a story of idol worship, idol worship, punishment, restoration, forgiveness, followed by a return to idolatry. Did you hear what I said to you? The history of Israel was a story of idol worship, punishment, restoration, forgiveness, followed by a return to idolatry. And Jeremiah is searching inside of their hearts to get to a deeply rooted attitude of the people, and he's trying to bring about a spiritual change. This is the God who brought his people out of Egypt and into this land of freedom, and now they're back in slavery once again. And it's a spiritual bondage that they're in. And they had polluted the land by their wickedness. God had allowed the walls to come down so that his people would regain their security and reestablish their identity as God's people once again. I need you to hear how good God is today. I want you to hear how good God is. When God made a promise to Abraham, and it goes back to this promise, and he said, in short, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is what I will do for you. He makes a twofold promise to his people in this nation when they began this journey with him. In fact, Nehemiah quotes it in Nehemiah 1, 8 and 9. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. It's the same promise you gave to Abraham. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you. When he tells Abraham the same promise, hey, if you obey my commands, I'll be your God. I'll be with you. I will not depart from you. If you abandon me, I'll scatter you. But if you return to me, I'll draw you back again. Nehemiah does the same prayer. I'll scatter you among the nations. This is the promise you made, God. But you promised also if you return to me and obey my commands, then even I, if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. I need you to see something. That God loves his people so much. His love is so intentional that he gives two promises, one of judgment and one of grace. It's like he knows you're going to mess up, Damon. Kenny, he knows you're going to mess up, man. He, he, Rick, he knows. I'm talking to just men. Where are the ladies? Who am I going to pick them? Yeah. Did you just throw your wife under the bus? I need you to see how, I mean, this was like, when I saw this, it just reminded me how much God loves us. And I do hope that this plants maybe a new thought in you about how God loves you so much. If you stay with me, I'm going to bless you. If, you. if you scatter and you run from me, then bad things are going to happen. But if you just return to me, then, then I'll bless you again. And the cycle of Israelites go over and over and over again. It's interesting that God said two promises. Here's one of judgment. If you, if you run from me, if you abandon me, I'll scatter you. The walls are going to collapse. So I'm going to add in a second promise because I know you're not going to fulfill the first one. And the second promise is for you. If you just return to me, I'll rebuild your life again. I'll rebuild your walls again. And then if you run from me, 
and you don't obey my commands and you don't do the things I tell you to do and you don't trust me and you lose hope in me and you turn your back on me, even though it's not me, it's you. If you just return to me, I'll rebuild your life again. It gives them a two promise. It's the second promise is to cover the first one. Because God is so faithful to his promise when he says, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to have to scatter you. I'm going to have to allow the walls to come down in your life if you keep chasing after false hope and false sense of security and a false sense of identity. And eventually, it's going to break you and drop you to your knees. He forewarns them. But he knows it's going to happen, and so he throws in a second promise. So the moment you call out to me, the moment you cry out to me, the moment you return to me, I'll rebuild your life. I'll reestablish your identity. I'll rebuild your security. And then if you fall off again, the cycle will happen over again. God is so faithful to both of his promises. And Nehemiah is aware of it, and so he calls them out on it. And he reminds God of the promise he made. The good things of this world are gifts from God, and they're meant to be enjoyed with thankful hearts and submission to him and to give him glory. But when the gift replaces the giver, when the gift replaces the giver, the Israelites were given gifts, but it had replaced the giver. God gave you a gift and gave you a job or a career or a path or money or plan or family or wife or child, whatever the case may be, and he's given gifts, and the gifts become to replace the giver, the one who gave it. The things that he's gifted you with begin to replace the giver. When the things that he created replace the creator, this is what's happened in the nation of Israel. The things he has made have become more important than the one who made it. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? No other gods before me. And he says, you've lost your way. But the good news is, I can rebuild your life. I have good news for you today. God loves his people way too much to leave them in brokenness. This is why Nehemiah says in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even from the farthest horizon, I'll gather you again. This was the heart that God was putting in Nehemiah. But I've come to tell you one final thought as I bring in the second half of the title. And you've got to hear this today because this is what God wants to instill inside of you today. Heart is not enough. It is not enough to have a heart for the things of God. There are many people, many Christians who live today and you have a heart for God. You have a heart for things. This is how you know you have a heart for God. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's, that's horrible. Oh, he's addicted on drugs still? Wow, that's terrible. And it stays there. Oh man, that's, so, that's such a hard thing to have to do. Wow, that's hard to deal with that. I'm sorry that you've lost your family. I'm sorry that you're struggling through a divorce right now. I'm sorry that that's happening. Ah, it's hard. Ah, did you hear what happened? So-and-so sick in the hospital. Did you hear about that? They're sick in the hospital. Ah, oh, it's terrible. It's, that's hard. That's heart. Heart's not enough in the kingdom of God. 
Heart's not enough. At some point, it's got to collide with guts. Me and my had guts. This next line, when I read it, it like it jumped out on the page. He says in verse 2, then I was terrified. He'd gotten the call, but he was terrified. And I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The reason he's in fear is because you are not to bring bad news to the king. If you bring bad news to the king and you bring this posture to the king or bad energy to the king, the king will kill you. His life was on the line and he knew if I tell this guy what God is telling me to say to him, he could kill me in this moment. And I'm terrified. But what God has been birthing in me for the past 120 days is so prevalent Now I actually have God's heart in my heart. I'm going to have to take a risk and tell this king something that may kill me. If you read verse 6, by the way, it says the queen was sitting next to the king. Do you know who the queen was? Esther. Do you remember the story of Esther? Where she walks in and she says, if I die, I die. So it's interesting to me that God has positioned a person next to the king that Nehemiah is talking to that he knows had a heart for the Jews because Esther, if you remember Mordecai, said you got to have a heart for the Jews, a heart for God's people. And Esther had it and she put her life on the line. So Nehemiah looks over at Esther and says, I remember how you stood in the gap and you put your life on the line. So he puts his life on the line and he says, King, how can I not be wrecked? Because God's people are hurting. God, listen to me, Nehemiah was not in the architecture business. It was not that he wanted to build big, beautiful walls and say, look what I built. Look how much money I have. Look at the company I've built. It's awesome. We have now X amount of employees. Oh, and our 401k system is thriving. And and our company is reaching and we're expanding. And now we're global. It's awesome. Look at these beautiful walls. Look at this house that I've built. Am I preaching to anybody? Look at the cars that I have. Look at my retirement account. Look at how many children I own. Oh, God has blessed me. Look at my beautiful hot wife. This is awesome. I mean, God is blessing me. Look what I've built. Nehemiah could care less about the size of the wall. He was called to rebuild people. It was always about the people living inside the broken walls. He was coming to restore identity. He was coming to restore insecurity. He was coming to to restore hope. People were broken and in slavery and it bothered him so much that he put his life on the line and he had guts. God is looking for somebody who has guts. Guts. You ever laid a brick? I used to work construction. In my journey into ministry, I was trying to find jobs, anything to make money, because I was basically working for free at a church. Uh, it's just part of the ministry process. And uh, <laughs> and I had it taken a job to had to do construction work. 
I'm not, I'm, anybody not afraid of heights? I'm afraid of heights. I hate heights. It's like, ugh, legs shake. I remember one day the foreman came and said, we need you to get up on top of the ladder and we need you to take some stuff off this window. Ladder shaking, you know. Knees are buckling. And then there's other guys always are like just walking around, you know, eating lunch on the thing and you're like, you're trying to have that manhood thing, you know. It was, it was hard. All I'm saying is it was hard labor. Shovel digging, callus on your hands, but you feel like a man because you got callus because real men have callus, you know. This is hard work. You ever laid a brick? Dug stuff? Man, it's hard work. We started a day at 7, ended a day at 4 or 5, and just exhausted, depleted. Nehemiah was going to have to do some hard labor. Brick and mortar. But it was never really about the brick and mortar. It was about removing a condition of shame, a condition of fear, of poverty and insecurity among God's people. Laying bricks is hard work, but it would be worth it. Nehemiah had both heart and he had guts. He couldn't stand back and sit and watch God's people live in a constant state of fear, strife, anger, hatred, offense, turmoil, poverty. He couldn't see it anymore. I mean, he couldn't couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it anymore. He saw it, but he couldn't stand it. And he was like, Popeye, I can't stand it anymore. I got to get involved just here to tell you today if you want to do anything significant for God it'll require both heart and guts there will become a time in your life when God will call you and he will tell you and he will burden you with something whatever it may be and I'm here to tell you it will require heart and guts It's the way the kingdom works. Told our prayer team this morning in pre-service prayer that I've never seen God go grow somebody in a lazy boy chair. God is in the business of kicking you out of your lazy boy recliner and telling you you need to have some guts. A spiritual word might be faith. It is not easy to always have faith. Guts. I think God is looking for people who will not only carry his heart, but have the guts to carry out the call that he's told you. And it takes guts. Nehemiah had both. God is looking for people who have both heart and guts, and he needs someone who will not just share in his heart, but have the guts to carry it out. And I believe wholeheartedly God is telling us today it's time to do some rebuilding. It's time to do some rebuilding, church. I believe God wants to birth something new in this community, in our church. He wants to give you a heart for his people. But not just a heart. He wants to give you the guts to carry it out. Heart and guts. Can you imagine a church that has both heart and guts?
you'll rebuild the city. You ever seen the show Hometown? I'm wrapping up. Would you stand to your feet for just a second? You ever seen the show? I'm going to transition here. You ever seen the show Hometown? Hometown on HGTV. Nobody? Does anybody have a wife who watches HGTV? Hometown. Fixer Upper. Yeah, okay. Hometown. I went and just was kind of Googling the prices of these homes. that they, And they buy them at like, you know, dirt cheap. Broken down houses. I was talking with Carissa today, this morning even, about this. Just taken, ugly, nasty, broken, gross homes. But they see something in those broken, nasty homes. You know what they see? Potential. And they see the potential of what those homes could be. If somebody was just willing to have a heart to do it and the guts, the hard work. And so they see the potential in a home. And by the way, hometown, they're not just trying to get global. They're rebuilding their hometown, their own city, one house at a time. I think God is looking for people, not trying to look for a reality show, but somebody who can look and see the potential inside of a broken person and say, I see what's possible if God just gets a hold of you. And it's going to take heart, but it'll take guts every time. In fact, you're going to have to do a lot of gutting when you get in lives, in people's lives. Amen. You ever had to gut somebody? It's ugly. It's messy. And you get into a house. You ever seen it? And they get into these houses and it's mold and bugs and, and rats and nasty stuff. Anybody ever seen these shows? And you get, it's nasty. It's gross. It's hard work. And they put the gas mask on and asbestos. I don't know, whatever they got. Is it asbestos, right? Or some drywall issue? Or, you know, all this kind of cool. It's hard. When you get in people's lives, it's messy. I have never seen a person resurrected from the dead in a clean way. If you want to dig up somebody's grave, it's going to be gross. Lazarus smelt bad. People smell bad. It's messy, hard work. If you want to rebuild the lives of people, it'll never be easy. But God is looking for some of you today. In fact, I believe he calls all of his children. I believe this wholeheartedly to his kingdom purposes. It'll require you to both have heart and it'll require you to have guts. Jesus, we don't want your heart only. so easy, church, to say that, isn't it? I want to know your heart. Can you just sing a little piece of that? I want to know your heart. Just sing a little bit of that. It was so nice when we sang it earlier. Let's go ahead and sing. Yeah, yeah. Just sing a little bit of it. Can you? Sure. Okay. So pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. Church, I'm preaching on something today. Wasn't that beautiful? Do it one more time, man. So nice. Seriously. This is good. One more time. 
So pull me a little closer And take me a little deeper I want to know your heart Come on, church, sing it with them. I want to know your heart Cause your love is so much sweeter Than anything I've tasted I want to know your heart I want to know your heart Alright, that's so good. Isn't that beautiful, church? Can we applaud? Oh, man. Woo! Jesus. Okay. Do you really want the heart of Jesus? No, seriously, do you want that? This is where, forget the whole church thing. I'm not playing church. I'm not here to entertain. I'm asking you a real question. Do you really want to know his heart? Because Nehemiah prayed it, and you know what happened to him. He left the palace. His 401k was gone. Every ounce of influence he had up in the kingdom, because he had it made. Oh, he had it made, and he had to leave it. Nehemiah would leave to rebuild the walls, and he would be there for 12 years, not to return to the comfort of his reclining chair in the palace. You sing a song about, I want to know your heart. You want to know his heart? If you know his heart, and when you come to know his heart, and he puts his heart inside of you for his people, the consequence of those statements, of those words, is a cross that you'll have to bear. Jesus said, my followers carry a cross. Pick it up. At some point, you have to move beyond heart and take action. I don't know what God is preparing for you in your life, but I am here to tell you today, it'll require, when you follow Jesus, heart and guts. Is there any way you could just change the wording and like, I want to have guts Wouldn't it be kind of weird if the people had to sing a line like that? Like, because your love is so much sweeter. Anything that I've tasted, I want to have the guts. I want to have the guts. I think that would be more of a real declaration of the church, wouldn't it be? I think a lot of people have a lot of heart. The problem is the church doesn't have the guts to carry out what's in the heart. It's the guts. It's the guts to tell your neighbor about Jesus. It's the guts to tell somebody in your waiter or waitress at a restaurant about Jesus. It's the guts to take what is broken. It's the guts to pray for the sick and believe they can be resurrected. It's the, it's the guts to get involved in a messy situation, in a messy marriage, and say God has hope for your marriage. It takes a lot of guts to go beyond that. The, not the problem with the church today is it doesn't have heart. The problem with the church today, I personally believe, is the guts to carry out what's in his heart. Just sing a little bit of it. They need some guts. Pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. How about the guts? I want to have some guts. There you go. Amen. (laughs) So good. I was like, what about the guts? That's a great line. One more time, man. Dude, that was so good. 
One more time. Let us sing. They need, they need it, Andrews. They need the guts. Because your love is Come so on, church, sing it out. And anything I've tasted, yeah. I want to know your heart. Yeah, come on. And I want to have some guts. <laughs> Can we pray, church? Jesus. Man, we're so thankful. Thank you. Just showing us a piece of your heart today. And how you look upon your people. And you look for someone like Nehemiah who says, send me to the city. You can keep your eyes closed, but Nehemiah would make the statement to send me. He doesn't call for someone else. In verse 4, he says, Then the king asked, How can I help you with a prayer to the God of heaven? I replied, If it pleases the king, with somebody, if it pleases you, God, if you are pleased with me, say this to Jesus today. If you're pleased with me, if, if you're pleased with your servant, then send me. Send me to rebuild the city. Send me to rebuild your church. Send me to rebuild the people. Send me, Jesus. Jesus, send us. The best decision here and the awesome part of all of this is you are never too far away for God to rebuild your life. You are maybe just one return away from God rebuilding what the enemy tried to steal. One return. One return away. If you need to return to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I want to return home. Just tell him, I want to return. I want to return. If it's a ministry, Jesus, I want to return. Jesus, I want to return. Jesus, I give it all to you. Jesus, I give it to you. Jesus, send me. If God has called you to do something and it's been stagnant like these walls have been sitting for 100 years, and God is saying it's time to rebuild the walls, Jesus, I'm ready. Just tell him, send me. Send me. I want to have the heart, but I also want to have the guts. Give me the courage. Give me the bravery. Give me everything I need to accomplish the purpose. You just tell him this week. You meditate on it this week. And you tell him this week, Jesus, I want to be a part of everything you want me to be a part of. Jesus, I surrender. You take the next 40 some odd days that we're in this fast, this 43 days left in this fast, and you join the fasting that we're in. And you just say, God, I'm dedicating the rest of the summertime. Let you do whatever you want to do in my life. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you say goes. I'll leave the palace, I'll leave the comfort, and I'll pursue the things that you have in my life. Whatever you say. Join the fast. Join the prayer. Give God your life. Let him rebuild everything the enemy tried to steal from your life. If it's your marriage, if it's your relationships, let him rebuild it. Father, we love you. Today, Jesus, we give you our life again. We return to you. And we believe that you rebuild us. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. And if you're a believer, if God has spoken something to you, would you shout amen in this place? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ricky, for a great message. I'm standing here today because someone had guts. Someone had a heart for his people. And someone had guts to get messy. I just want us all to grasp that. That God's 
love for us and his people, when we can grasp that, our lives are changed forever and we're able to change the lives of those around us. Let's have some guts to get messy. Amen? Um, So I'm Kenny. I'm one of the volunteers here. Um, So we just want to thank all the first-time guests for coming. And and if you've also made a decision to follow Christ today, we want to know. We want to pray with you. So if you need prayer, if you need someone to talk to, if you're a first-time guest, fill out that connections card. Um, Take it over to Brave Central. Um, I don't know. It might have been moved because it was pouring. If you didn't hear earlier, so... Uh, look for the teal tent or the table. Uh, we'll have volunteers there to help. Um, so, ladies, ladies, where are the ladies at? All right, there we go. So, June 26th, there is a ladies' brunch. So, that's a Saturday. There's going to be a ladies' brunch. Fill out a connect card, a connection card if you're interested, or you can go to Brave Central to sign up. They can give you more details. I don't have all the details on that, but Brave Central will. So if you are interested, ladies, there will be a ladies uh, brunch. Uh, tithes and offerings, if you brought that, you can take it to the containers in the back. Thank you for your support and generosity. So let's just pray out and have a great day. Lord, we thank you for this time together, God, and we thank you that we're able to gather in your name, Lord. We pray that as we go out, Lord, that we just have a heart for your people, Lord, and the guts to to get messy and to help someone's life change, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church family. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.